Okay, I'm going to start off tonight with a couple questions, okay? So question number one, think about this for a second. How many times do you think in the last year you've had to click one of those little pop-up thingies that says, I agree to these terms of service? And uh, how many times in a year do you think you've had to click on one of those? If you try to get on the Wi-Fi here tonight, there's at least one because Highlands Wi-Fi has one of those annoying pop-up blockers. So you're welcome. So there's at least one. But it seems like in our 21st century world, we're clicking those like 18 times a day. They're everywhere all the time. Question number two, how many times have you actually read in full the terms of service agreement that you clicked I agree to? How many? Zero. zero. Everyone said zero, right? Well, that's, yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty accurate, actually. There was actually a, uh, there's actually a research group a couple years ago that wanted to study this and see how thoroughly people actually read these terms of service that they were agreeing to and clicking away uh, pretty much every day. So they put together a fake uh, social media platform called NameDrop. Okay, they put it together. It was a real functioning social media platform. They did some advertising. They launched it on their college campus. And within the first week, I think about 500 students downloaded it and started using this platform. Well, to use the platform, like Facebook, Twitter, all those, you have to click, I accept and agree to all the terms and conditions and things like that. But they slid a couple funny ones in there to see if people were really listening, okay, or reading. So the first thing they slipped in was by clicking I accept, you transferred all rights away and the NSA, the National Security Agency, could read everything and all your public information goes to the US government. Okay, so first, you give all your information to the NSA. The second thing that they put in there was that after you have your firstborn child, you have to give it to this company as payment for using their service. I'm not joking. You can find the research. That, uh, that was slipped in there. How many people out of 500 do you think were bothered by that and sent in an email? Zero. You guys are, that is one. <laughs> one. One person read it. The other 499 sold their first child to <laughs> name drop to use this fake social media platform. And that's just, sadly, I mean, that's just the world that we live in. We live in a world where we are quick to say, uh, you know, here's an agreement, service, here's the conditions, all those things. Yeah, 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 I don't really read it. I'm just going to accept it without really knowing the cost, right? We're quick to say I accept whatever it is. I, without thinking of the cost, without considering all of the different additions, without thinking of the consequences, we are quick to just hit accept, okay? Now, I want us to think about that for a moment. Because I think that is a very good 21st century example of how a lot of people treat following Jesus Christ in their lives. They're quick to say, yeah, I want to follow Jesus, accept, click, yes, sign me up, I'm a follower, I'm a disciple, without ever really slowing down, counting the cost, considering the call, and examining the demands of discipleship. And that's what our passage is all about tonight. There are three potential disciples that come up to Jesus and say, we want to follow you. We'll follow you anywhere. We'll do whatever you want. We want to follow you. And Jesus slows down a little bit and says, okay, before you click, I accept. Let me just outline for you a little bit of, of what it's actually going to look like to follow me. Let me make sure you actually know what you're offering, what you actually know, what you're signing up for. Whenever Jesus gives an invitation to be his follower, 
he always clearly articulates what that means. He always articulates the demands of discipleship. Because a lot of those companies where we click accept, they try to hide things in the small print, right? They try to get you to click accept without really thinking it through. And Jesus never wants to be that person that later on down the road says, I got you, sucker. This is what you signed up for. That, that's not what he's interested in doing. Jesus wants his disciples, his followers from the very beginning to say, this is what you're getting into. This is what it looks like to follow me. I want you to still choose me. Anyway, so that's what we're going to be looking at tonight in our passage so let's open up our Bibles to Luke chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verses 57 through 62. Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. Starting off in 50, verse 57, it says this. As they, being Jesus and his disciples, were going along the road, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, Jesus said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So if we were to really boil down this passage to a big idea, I think this is what we're seeing here. The big idea is this. We need to count the cost of following Christ, but not just count the cost. We need to accept the cost because Jesus is worth it. Okay, so we need to count the cost of following Christ, but we need to accept the cross because Jesus is worth it. And before we jump into our verses, it's helpful in this particular passage to look at the surrounding context and understand what's going on. In the book of Luke, chapter 9 is one of the most important passages in that book because in chapter 9, in specifically verse 51, the entire theme and focus for the, for the entire rest of the book changes and it kind of prefaces what's going to happen in the last chapters of Luke. So listen to verse 51. It says this. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face. He became determined. He went on a mission. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. And then from this point on, when you're reading through the book of Luke, almost every chapter you see on the way to Jerusalem, Jerusalem, they're headed to Jerusalem, Jerusalem. So as these followers come up to Jesus, these potential disciples, and say, we want to follow you, Jesus is saying, do you know where I'm going? I'm headed to Jerusalem. That's where you're following me too. Now, I think you guys probably know pretty well what was waiting for Jesus in Jerusalem. What was waiting for Jesus? The cross, right? It wasn't a vacation. It wasn't a, a you know, all-expense, month-long paid trip at the nicest B&B in town. That's not what awaited Jesus after three long years of earthly ministry. It, it was the cross. It was the culmination of Christ's earthly ministry. And what he's saying is, if you want to follow me, you have to understand that you're going to follow me to the foot of a cross. And you better be ready to pick that cross up yourself if you want to follow me. So he's slowing them down and saying, look, we've we got to talk about what it means to truly be my disciple. And he starts off with this first, uh, this first eager potential disciple running up, and they, he, he makes just a bold, a bold assertion. 
He says, Jesus, I will follow you anywhere. I'll follow you wherever you go. Right? He's speaking a little hyperbole, uh, he's speaking hyperbole there a little bit. He's going over the top. He says, Jesus, I'm just so excited. I'm passionate. I'm emotional. I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And notice Jesus' response isn't awesome. <laughs> That's great. Welcome aboard. Jesus says, okay, great. But just realize where that means you're going. He says, birds of the air have nests. Fox have places in the hole uh, to live. But the son of man, he says, I, I don't have a place to always lay my head. And he wasn't exaggerating. Just the, the verses just before this section, Jesus was going to Samaria and the disciples went ahead to try to prepare a place for him. And they rejected him and said, we don't want Jesus in our city. Get out of here. So he's saying, I face rejection. I don't always know where I'm going to be sleeping. That's, that's what you're signing up for. And if we were really to capture that idea with a point, I think our, our first point of the night could be this from this conversation. We need to choose Christ over comfort. I think that's what this is getting after. We need to choose Christ over comfort. Because in these words, Jesus is slowing down this conversation and essentially saying this, talk is cheap. You have to be ready to back up your words with action, right? Talk is cheap, but action is costly. That's where the proof is. And we know that to be true, right? Talk is easy. Talk is cheap, but actually doing something, that's a lot harder. So, an example, right? This past summer, as many of you know, I got married. Uh, I got married and my wonderful wife got to join me here in Wausau for the summer. And during the summer, it was a very, very busy time ministry-wise just for us getting settled. And because of that, I wasn't able to go to the gym like I typically do. Not only that, as a newlywed, my wife wanted to make me wonderful, delicious, high-calorie carb meals all the time. So I'm eating more than I ever have before. And by the end of the summer, I'm feeling a little bad that my muscle is going down and other mass is going up, right? <clears throat> and I'm looking, I said to my wife, you know, wanting to have my ego padded a little bit, I'm saying, wow, you know, after this summer, I, I really need to get back in the gym. I'm starting to get a little flabby. I'm expecting her to say, no, it's okay, honey. And she said, it's okay. We'll find time for you to get to the gym. <laughs> I was like, that's not what you're supposed to say. She's like, I'm just being honest. I want to help. I'm like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? So I know it's it was funny, right? But in that moment, I said, okay, I need to get back in the gym. I want to work out, right? Oh, I'm going to do it no matter what. I'm for you, babe, I'm going to go to the gym, right? So that's my talk. I will go to the gym every day. Talk is cheap. Action's harder, right? <laughs> then it comes along. I'm telling a friend of mine about this, and he says, man, I've been trying to get back in the workout routine too. So we're looking at our schedules. Nights are terrible for me. He says, I have an idea. 6 a.m., Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we're hitting up the gym. <laughs> no, <laughs> please no. And th that's the cost of being a disciple of the Y, right? That's the cost of working out. That's what's going on here. I'm counting the cost. Talk is cheap. I promised Megan I'd go to the gym. But 6 a.m., that means I'm getting up at like 5.15. It's cold. It's dark. It's zero degrees. It's a Wisconsin winter. I don't want to go to the gym. But in that moment, I, I, I said, okay, okay, I'll do it. I need it. I need the accountability. Right? In that moment, we all know that desire, I, I'll do this. But then when the action comes and there's difficulties and there are barriers, the action is where the proof is. Am I going to put my words into action? And that's what Jesus is saying. He says, look, I know you're saying right now you'll follow me anywhere. But I want you to understand what that actually means. And Jesus is saying to the guy, listen, 
following me is rarely going to be comfortable. Okay, that's what Jesus is getting across. Following me is rarely going to be comfortable. Jesus says, I've left the security of my home. I've left my belongings behind. I'm on a mission. If you want to follow me, you have to do the same exact thing. And this potential disciple probably wasn't anticipating that when he said, I'd follow Jesus. Remember who people thought Jesus was. They thought he was the Messiah. But their Messiah, in their mind, was the guy who was going to come and be a king. He was going to come and establish an earthly kingdom, a physical kingdom. He was going to kick out the Romans, set up his kingdom in Jerusalem, and be ruling from a big, plush throne. That's probably what this disciple thought he was going to do. I get to ride the coattails all the way into the palace. That's what he's thinking. The disciples even fell into that mindset sometimes. Think about how foolish some of the disciples were when they were bickering over who's going to sit at the right hand of Jesus when he's reigning in Jerusalem. Just a, a few verses earlier, the disciples, Jesus had to come and break them up because they were saying, I'm going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He says, no, I'm going to be the greatest. And they're arguing over who's going to be the most important and enjoying the most in this kingdom. Jesus says, you guys are missing it. If you follow me, it's not going to lead you to a plush, cushy, relaxing, easy, physical life. That, that's not my goal. Jesus says, my goal for my disciples is so much better than that. My goal isn't for them to have an easy, relaxing life. My goal is for them to have a satisfying and meaningful life. It's to get them sanctified, get them prepared for eternity. Jesus says, I, I've got so much more concern for who you are becoming than making your life easy and everything that maybe materially you want it to be. And this is where the prosperity gospel falls so short of the true gospel. Jesus says, if you want to be my follower just because uh, you think it's the easiest way to get on the gravy train, you've missed the point. Jesus says, that's not, that's not what it's about. It's about having your sins forgiven. It's about investing in eternity. It's about being made right with God. It's about dying to yourself so that you can live for me and make a difference in this world. If you're going to follow me, it's going to be uncomfortable, but it's going to be worth it going to be worth it it's going to be worth it so much so that there's nothing better than following christ but don't expect it to be a comfortable ride however in this passage don't make this command harder than it has to be though okay jesus isn't saying in this passage that following him will always be extremely uncomfortable right jesus isn't saying if you follow me to this guy he's not saying every single night you're never going to have a place to sleep that wasn't true did Jesus experience hospitality at points? Absolutely. Do you have people that took him in? Absolutely. Jesus is saying, not saying that if you're his disciple, you can never have a car, you can never have a house, you need to sell all your stuff and be a hermit that travels. He's not saying you have to do those things. But what he is saying, whenever there's a conflict between stuff and comfort and following me, following me has to win every time. You can never let your stuff and your comfort be idols that take the place of following me. Whenever there's a conflict, I win. That's what Jesus is saying. So how do we apply that to our lives? Well, what are the idols of comfort that we've allowed to creep into our lives that are holding us back from following Jesus as we want, as we should be? So maybe the first one is just the, the comfort of my precious stuff, right? All my stuff in life. It's where I, I, my, my stuff is the most important thing. It's, my, it's precious to me. I can't let go of it, right? I'm defending, I'm guarding it. Stuff is my idol, and I, I, I choose my stuff over Christ every single time. So what would that look like? Well, 
maybe for you to take that step forward to stop prioritizing stuff, maybe that could be passing on a job promotion that, sure, it pays a lot more and you could up your quality of life, but at the same time, you know you'd be working so many hours, you would be an absent spouse, you'd be a never-present parent, you'd be unable to ever come to church, to worship a church, to serve the church. Which is more important, a super high-paying job or being responsible in all those areas that God wants you to lead and to, and to exemplify uh, Christ's like character in your life? Maybe it could be praying about even just how to use your finances. I know this might step on some toes. But I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying how many of us have actually stopped and said, you know what, God? I'm going to pray before this next purchase in my life that's not necessary and see if there's some way you would rather me use my money. Before I buy that second house on the lake up north, maybe I should pray and say, do you want that money that be going to that payment each month to go to supporting missions to unreached people groups? Before I buy that $80,000 fully loaded SUV, could I settle for a $30,000 one and use that money for better kingdom purposes? I'm not saying it's wrong to have all those things. I'm just saying it's wrong if we're not considering, God, do you want me to use my money a different way, right? Comfort, comfort of stuff. Maybe it could just be the comfort of acceptance. How many of us, the comfort of acceptance, right? To where we want to follow Jesus as long as it doesn't make me stick out like a sore thumb in the crowd. So I'll follow you, Jesus, as long as I don't have to follow you at high school, because that's going to make me look really embarrassed. I'll follow you, Jesus, as long as it's not on my college campus. You know how made fun of the people getting classes that believe in creationism and Christianity? I was thinking recently of, of an article I read about a girl who is a student senator at UC Berkeley, and um, she voted against something because of her Christian beliefs. It came down to 20 people voted in favor, and she abstained. She was the one who abstained. And she said, she did it. She said, it's not because I dislike people. It's not because I want to be harsh. She said, I'm just, I'm a Christ follower, and it goes against my religious beliefs, and here's why. And she wanted to have an opportunity to talk about it. They didn't care. Her entire, her entire college called for her resignation. They said she was a bigot. They said she was hateful. They besmirched her. They made it so hard that she could hardly show her face on campus. And in that moment, I'm sure she was faced with, do I want to be comfortable? Or do I want to do what I know it's right and follow Christ? Those are the questions we have to face. What are we going to choose? Or maybe it could be the comfort of just having a safe and secure life. So maybe you feel like God's calling you to work with some people in the inner city that are struggling, and you know it's, it can be dangerous at times. And you say, well, I'll leave that to someone else. I, I, I don't want to put, I don't want to put my, my wonderful, I don't want to put myself at risk. I'll leave that to other people. In college, I worked with kids in juvie. And I remember the first time I walked in and was buzzed in and behind bars, I thought, I'm uncomfortable. I don't want to be here. Can't someone else do this? And I had to remember, No. God sent me for some reason, and in that moment, I was kind of uncomfortable, but that's okay, because those people, they, need, they needed Christ. They needed someone to show them the love of Christ. It's worth being uncomfortable. Maybe you feel like God's calling you to go on a short-term mission trip, and it's to a country where the food's not great, the water's not safe, it, it, it might be dangerous even, and you think, wow, I don't think I want to do that. I would much rather go, you know, write a check for someone else to go or serve right here where I'm safe and comfortable and I can eat a Big Mac at McDonald's every day and I don't have to eat crazy stuff and I can drink the water without getting dysentery, right? I'll let someone else go. Well, no, if God's calling you, you, you have to go. You have to choose Christ over comfort. But moving along in our passage, we come along to our second conversation between Jesus and, and this man, the second person. And Jesus initiates this time. 
He says, follow me. I hope you realize that that call that Jesus says, follow me, that's for all people. That calls for all of us. It's for all people throughout all time. There's no one who's disqualified from following Christ. I don't care what your past is. I don't care what mistakes you've made. It doesn't matter. Christ says, follow me. All you have to do is repent of your sin and put your faith in me. That calls for all of us. But continuing on, he says, follow me. And this man says, I would, but first I need to go and do this. And he has an excuse. He has a reason that he says, I I can't follow you right now. Point number two, from what we see Jesus' response to this, I think could be said this way. We need to stop delaying and start obeying. We need to stop delaying and start obeying. That's what's going on in this passage. Jesus says, follow me. And the man doesn't say no, but he doesn't say yes either. He says yes with an asterisk. He says, yes, I'll follow you, but first I need to go and do this, and I'll follow you only on my timeline and when it's most convenient for me. I'll follow you on my terms. I'll follow you on my conditions. And Jesus says, you know what? That's not good enough. Delayed discipleship is still disobedience in Jesus' eyes. He says, I don't want delayed discipleship. When I call, I want you to go, I want you to go right now. So let's, let's look at this text and see what's actually going on here. Because the man comes with a pretty, I mean, it seems like a pretty simple request. He says, Jesus, I'll, I'll follow, follow you, but first let me go and bury my father. And then Jesus really drops the hammer. He says, let the dead bury their own dead. As for you, go and preach the kingdom. It's like, could have said that a little more graciously, Jesus, right? I mean, that's what we're thinking when we're reading through that passage. But let's stop and try to understand that passage a little bit better. When this man is saying, let me first go and bury my father, it's probably, probably so that his father has not died yet, but rather his father is nearing the end of his life and old in age and struggling medically. That's probably what's going on here. Just based on the burial rituals and things, he probably wouldn't be on the path encountering Jesus if his father had just died, okay? So he's probably saying, God, or Jesus, I don't know when my father's going to die. It could be a month, it could be a year, it could be a couple years, but after he dies and I take care of those things, then can I resume and follow you? Can you give me a break for a while and I can come back when it's, when it's a better time? And Jesus looks at him, he says, No, I'm calling you now. And and when we listen to his response, he's saying, listen, there's no excuse in our life. There's nothing in our life that's more important than the call to go and make disciples, to follow Jesus, to preach the gospel, to expand the kingdom. Not even our closest relationships, not, not even our family. However, Jesus isn't calling this man to be irresponsible. His response is a little confusing, but he says, let the dead bury their own dead. And Jesus is using a play on words there to say this. Let the spiritually dead, those who don't know me, those who aren't my followers, bury and take care of the physically dead. But you go and preach the kingdom. So what he's saying is this. Listen, you've got other family members. You've got other siblings that can take care of your father. Okay, it doesn't have to be you. It doesn't have to be you. And your other siblings, they don't believe in me. They're spiritually dead. They're not following me. They're no good for the kingdom. So let them worry themselves about that. But you, you, I want to use you. There are people that need to hear the gospel, and you are the tool I want to use. I'm sending you to go and preach the gospel. I need you to choose this. Choose eternity. That's what Jesus is saying there. He's not saying be irresponsible. Jesus is saying, I got to be your top priority, even over something as important as, as relationships. I have an example from a a friend of mine who's actually been a missionary for many, many years. 
he got saved when he was in college. And when he was in college, after he became a Christian, he decided he wanted to be a missionary. And he was a music major at the time, and he called his dad and said, hey, I became a Christian, I want to be a missionary, I want to transfer schools and, and study the Bible. And his dad said, if you do that, I'm disinheriting you. You're done. Yeah, I, I'm not paying for your college degree. I'm, I, you're going to sever this relationship. I'm done. I'm paying for you to go to school for music. Do that. So at this point, he's asked with the question, do I delay or do I obey? Do I listen to my dad and keep doing this music, or do I follow what I know God's calling me to do? And he chose to follow God. And he's been an, an amazingly effective missionary across the seas and discipled hundreds of people and reached hundreds of people for the kingdom. But that relationship was permanently damaged. That was one of the costs of following Christ. He said, I love my dad, but I got to follow Jesus more. Those are the difficult questions we face. But, you know, I, I think this passage can be broadened out to anything that we use as an excuse to delay obeying Christ. I don't think it's just family. I think it can be broadened out to any excuse that we're making to say, you know, Jesus, I'll follow you, just maybe not right now. Maybe later on in life. So maybe for some of us, that could be, you know, you know, Jesus, I'll get serious about following you after this insanely busy season of my life. After I finish, uh, after I finish my undergrad degree, after I finish grad school, after I get my first job and, and life calms down a little bit, then I'll get serious about serving you. Then I'll get serious about following you. Or maybe we could use this excuse. You know, God, I, I'll, I'll use my finances to support missions and support the church and support the gospel. But after I get a better paying job, I just don't have the money right now. I, I'll do that later once, I, once I'm making more, then I can maybe give some money to those things. I, I just can't right now. But, but ask again later, and, and then maybe, maybe I can. Or maybe some people would say, you know what, God, I want to be on the mission field. I'll go. I feel you calling me, but I'm not really wanting to go until I'm married. I can't, uh, like, uh, that, that'd be way too hard. Call again, maybe five, ten years. Whenever I'm married, then I'll go on the mission field, right? Or, or, or maybe the question, uh, I won't be on the mission field, but I'm going to wait until my kids grow up because I don't, I don't want to do that to my, that'd be so hard. They'd be in a different culture. That'd be difficult. I'll wait and be a missionary when I'm in, when I'm in retirement. That, that's something I've struggled with. I felt like at times that God is, uh, Megan and I both have felt like God's called us on to uh, the mission field, serving internationally at some point in our lives. And that's a hard thought, especially when I see people posting these Facebook articles that says the greatest gift you can ever give your kids is raising them near your grandparents. I'm like, well, that doesn't make it easier. What are you saying? I'm robbing my kids of the greatest gift in the world, right? It's even worse when Pastor Jeff posted on Facebook, right? It's like, what are you doing? But that's hard. You have to think that. You have to count the cost. You have to say, am I going to delay or am I, am I going to obey? We have to choose obedience. And then quickly moving on to our third, our third conversation, right? Our third conversation here. Jesus encounters another man on the road, and he, says out, he calls out to this person, and, and, and this guy says, I'll, I'll follow you. I'll follow you. But he adds another condition. Another but first, right? Another qualifier, another asterisk. He says, but first, let me go and say goodbye to my family. Let me go back to my house. Let me, let me go say goodbye to everyone. And notice Jesus' response. He says, you can't go back. Anyone who puts their hand to the plow and turns around is not fit for the kingdom of God. Our third point is this. Jesus says, focus on the future. Stop looking at the past. Focus on the future. And the reason he says that, I'm 
assuming that Jesus was sensing in this man's heart some division. He really wasn't sold on following Jesus yet. He really was grappling with, I want to follow Jesus, but I don't want to give up my old life. I want to follow Jesus, but I really like my house, my family, my friends. Uh, There's a wrestling match, a tug of war going on in his heart. And Jesus says, it's not going to help that tug of war. It's not going to help that indecisiveness to go back. He said, you need to choose right now to sever that and say, follow me. Cut the cord. Follow me and be my disciple. Focus on the future. And he explains why that's so important with that analogy. He says, anyone who puts his hand to a plow, and a plow back then was how they plowed their fields. It was an oxen, and, and they would, you know, try to plow the lines. It, it wasn't like today where they have GPS-guided tractors and things like that. Back then, you had to keep your eye fixed on a point and try to plow a straight line. What happens when you're looking like this trying to plow a field? It's going to be terrible. It's not going to be good lines. You're going to be an awful farmer. And Jesus says, when I save you from sin, I save you to serve. I want you to serve the kingdom. I want you to make disciples. And you can't make disciples if you still wish you were back living in the life of sin. He says, you you have to let go of your past and focus on the future. Think about when you get into a car to drive. Which is bigger, the windshield or the rear view mirror? Okay, you guys are not very confident. You're scaring me. I know Wisconsin drivers are known for being bad drivers, but come on, you guys, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Oh, oh man, they didn't think that was funny. Okay, so it's the windshield, right? The windshield, why? Because the focus is outward. You only occasionally look back in the mirror, and that's only to make sure you're making the right move, right? That's what Jesus is saying here. He says, if you're going to drive looking in the mirror, you're going to have a wreck. You're going to ruin yourself. You're going to crash and burn. You can't drive looking in the rearview mirror. You've got to look out the windshield. He says, follow me. So for us tonight, all of us who bear the name of Christ, Christ followers, what is it in your past that you need to let go of? What are the things you need to stop looking back at and focusing on? What are the things that you need to truly repent of? Maybe for the first time in your life. That's what that word repentance is all about in Scripture. Repent for a disciple is making a 180 degree turn from going one direction, chasing after sin, to pursuing God, pursuing Christ, pursuing righteousness and holiness. There's no middle ground. There's no middle ground. You can't be doing a little bit of both. So what are the things that we need to repent of? Maybe there's some sin in our life we've never really opened up about. Maybe there's some sin we've never really let go of and said, God, take this. I'm ready. I'm ready to follow you wholly. What are those things that are holding us back? And that's so important because we want to be people who live lives of no regret. Right? That's what we want to be. We want to be people who live lives of no regret. And the reality is, if you bear the name of Christ, towards the end of your life, you're never going to look back and say, man, ah, I regret telling that person to go. Man, I regret reading my Bible I should have watched another season of whatever on Netflix. Man, I really regret going to church. I should have slept in all those Sundays and got 12 hours of sleep instead of 10, right? We're not going to look back and say, I regret those things. What are the things we're going to regret? I regret that my sin ruined this relationship. I regret that I didn't take that opportunity to tell that coworker about Christ before they passed. I regret that I made all these decisions, all these sinful things, all these addictions. I regret that I didn't live for Christ. Those are the things that we're going to regret, right? And all of this tonight, 
we don't see how these three people respond to Christ. It's left, it's left kind of empty. We don't know whether or not they chose to follow him or not. I think that's to try to get us to ponder how we need to respond. I think that's intentional by the author, Luke. It's kind of, how would you respond? What do you choose? We don't know their choice, but we know ours. What do we want to do tonight? How can we respond? And the reality is, we are only going to accept the cost of following Christ if we're convinced that knowing Christ is worth it. Right? We have to be convinced of that. And Christ is. He absolutely is. Spending eternity with God, having our sins forgiven, having freedom from our brokenness is absolutely worth it. But we have to be convinced of that. Think about it this way. Last illustration as we close up. Think about it this way. Let's say that uh, this February, it's February 1st, which is a Friday, February 1st, your spouse comes home and your spouse says, cancel all your plans this weekend. I planned a surprise trip for us. And your immediate thought is, is that refundable? This is Super Bowl weekend, right? But let's just say this is an alternate reality where the Packers are in the Super Bowl this year, okay? So this is an alternate reality. The Packers are in the Super Bowl playing, we'll say, the Patriots, right? And, that, and it's February 3rd is the game. February 1st, your spouse comes home and says, surprise, I've got a, I, I got a non-refundable trip planned. It's a surprise, and we're just getting away. So pack your bags. Don't plan anything this weekend. You're thinking, no, <laughs> I love the Super Bowl. I want to be sitting in my basement. I just bought a, a new 80-inch TV for the Super Bowl this year. Any other weekend, why did you pick this weekend? Weekend, and you're thinking about like, oh man, I always host the party. It's always the it's my favorite weekend of the year. All these awesome things. Why would she do that? Oh, why would he do that? Oh, that jerk, right? And, and then you you explode and get angry at your spouse and say, you know, I love the Super Bowl. It's the most meaningful thing in the world to me because I'm a Wisconsin Packer fan, right? And the spouse says to you, well, I was trying to surprise you, but my my boss gave me tickets to the Super Bowl. It's on the 50-yard line. But I guess if you don't want to go, I'll take, you know, <laughs> take my other friend. Wouldn't you feel pretty stupid in that moment, right? Yeah? <laughs> See, that's what's kind of going on here, right? When we as human beings say, man, Jesus, you're, you're asking so much. You're asking me to give so much. I want this stuff. You know I love, ah, I want this stuff. Why do I have to give it up? Jesus is saying, would you just stop acting like a child? I've got something so much better for you. Open up your eyes and see what I'm trying to give you. I'm trying to give you eternal life. I'm trying to give you satisfaction. I'm trying to give you freedom. But you have to believe that what I offer is better. So do we really believe that? Have we really accepted that in our lives? So tonight, uh, Sam is going to come on up here in, in just a second. And um, just as we transition into our closing time of worship, there were little cards on your seat uh, that when you came in. And if you're in the back and you came in late, there's some little cards over by the coffee table so you can grab those. It's a third Monday worship service on one side. And then on the back side, they have three different blanks. And they cover the three different conversations we talked about. I just want you guys to take a minute a minute and a half while some music's playing. Just pray and ask God, what are the things in my life that need to change in light of this tonight? What's, what's the comfort that's keeping me back from really pursuing Christ? What's the area that I've been delaying for a long time and I know I get to need to get serious about? And tonight, I need to just commit to obeying you better. And then third, what, what are the ways that I need to focus on the future, but instead I've just been totally devoted to my past? What are the things I need to repent of and just say, God, let me leave my past behind me and focus on the future from tonight on out. So I just want us to think about that tonight. What are the changes 
that we need to make in light of this passage. Because Jesus is saying that same offer to us. He's saying, follow me. Follow me. But we need to make sure that we're doing it on his terms. We're saying, okay, God, Christ, if, if, if I'm following you, I'm following you wherever you lead. I trust you. I know it's worth it. And here's some stuff in my life I need to let go of. So just take a couple minutes. I just want you to think about that, write some stuff down, and then I'll pray and close this out and we'll end with a couple songs of worship. Father, we are we're so grateful that you would even want us to be followers of your son. We recognize that when Jesus makes that offer for us to follow him, it's not because we deserve it. It's not because of anything that we've done. It's not because we're anything special, but it's because of your immense love and his immense grace by dying on a cross for us. So Father, as we, as we consider the things in our lives that need to change for us to be better followers of you, I am so grateful to know that you are God of many, many chances. Even when we mess up, even when we make mistakes, even when we get distracted, there is grace and you ask us, get back up, follow me better this time. Repent of those things and continue, continue to look more like Christ every single day. So Father, I just pray that everyone here has accepted Christ. And if they haven't, tonight is the night where they say, I, I want to invest my life in something that matters. I want to invest my life in eternity. I want to give my life to Christ. And for those of us who have God, as we put our hand to the plow, help us to not look back us to keep our eyes set on the future and to remember that there's nothing better than knowing Christ. Father, energize our worship now. Help us to sing out with grateful hearts for all you've done. And we pray these things tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.